You want to run well, you race a lot. You're sick of the gels that taste like snot. Break loose from the pain that you get when you train. Get some minty goodness to make you run fast. More caffeine than Red Bull in one minty blast. Caffeine bullet, the minty chew that makes you faster. Caffeine bullet, the minty chew that makes you faster. Caffeine bullet, the minty chew that makes you faster. If you still haven't tried Caffeine Bullet, get 25% off now at caffeinebullet.com using code FYP. Now on with the show. They're bad, they're boys, and occasionally they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Baby, come back. With a bye, 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 bye. With a bye, 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 bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that. Bye 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 bye. Hello, hello, Davidas. Hello, JD Rainsford. Hello, David Hallard. How are you? I'm well. Before we say how am I, isn't the question more where am I? Have you been kidnapped? Ali's seen this already. So basically. Do you know where I am? It's quite weird what JD looks at, but wait until he sees what is in my room. Oh my goodness, is that a, a proper professional podcast in operation? So, I am. Well, why are you still on the laptop? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sat in a podcasting studio, but I don't know how to use anything. <laughs> <laughs> i've clicked a few buttons and uh since batteries there's not not many power sockets so i've turned it all off DNS, plugged in DNS. One lamp. yeah dns <laughs> but in theory where i now work has a um, a podcasting studio which has some incredible microphones and even the microphones where they've got that piece of um tight pop filter pop filter they've got a pop filter in front of it so at some point we'll be able to record some more stings because uh you know people are obviously like we need more of those <laughs> yeah, that's, we 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 listened to you we forgot what you said we're just going to push ahead with stings yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> they make us laugh that's good exactly enough. but um it also means that when i record little songs for jody rainsford the quality will be even higher Oh, we need to talk about that, don't we? <laughs> Before we talk about it, can oh, I just God. say, Nick, the editor, oh, my God, what did you do to me, man? What is you? So I literally lip sync. Well, I, I sang along to the playing of the YouTube clip of Band-Aid. But for some reason, when Nick uh, put, he, he decided to put a bedding track behind it and then just got me out of sync with it the whole way through, um, so it made me look like I was a complete idiot who just couldn't just couldn't understand the way music works. Dude, I don't think we can ever lay the blame at anyone. <laughs> that, to be honest, the issue with that song wasn't being out of sync. 
did it, it was the issue it, it just hit too close to home. <laughs> it was too it was too painful it was too painful i listened to that as i was lying in bed in the isle of wight <laughs> early one morning i got up before everyone and i was thinking oh this is a bit depressing and then i listened to that song and i'm like oh, it's a bit more depressing now <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, it was it's the amount of effort you went for it i'm like it's quite it's kind of shameful actually if you think i was in bed and um is when i was properly ill ill not not just what those people say when they can't be asked to do something so i was lying in bed to the extent i didn't get out of bed to watch tv i wasn't on my laptop i was just lying there uh and then i just worked through all of the the lines of that song the only one i had to cut the first bono line i couldn't i couldn't make it work oh okay so i mean nick i'll give you that i did cut that bono line but i thought you cut the bono bit as well and just go straight for the bono chorus but oh, yeah, um yeah. but yeah yeah happy christmas i mean we're now <laughs> we'll be in february february by the time this comes out but yeah to be fair that's not our worst worst christmas so far but yeah so if you didn't listen to it uh, david for a while um kept messaging me saying have you got your christmas present yet and i said what are you talking about and he's well you've got to listen to the episodes it's in there somewhere it's an easter egg and me being uh me when no and so fortunately uh some people listen to the podcast uh, and they were able to identify where this particular thing was down to the minute so i didn't actually have to unnecessarily listen to our voices again um and so yeah david sang a, a, a i wouldn't quite call it a rendition it was a reboot of the uh, I, Do They Know It's Christmas, all themed around the fact that I now have to run an Ironman because I didn't get to do, I didn't do a 5K. Well, I mean, the funny thing is the fact you have to swim and cycle an Ironman, really. You're running an Ironman is not a problem. I mean, you're not going to have to learn the run training because you're never going to make it to the marathon, my friend. I, uh, well, thank you for your vote of confidence. <laughs> <laughs> it, it occurred to me the other day, something else occurred to me the other day, after revealing that I couldn't swim um, uh, on a previous podcast, I, I've i never ridden on a road bike before. So I just had I just had someone come into the, the podcast, and apparently it had been booked, but I didn't know there's a booking, or... It's um, not... It's not... Uh, it's not monkey tennis, is it? <laughs> it was. It was someone who looked a little bit like Alan Partridge um coming in mr dark but um, you gotta got move i don't know he kind of gave this look of like it's okay but i don't know if i'm in the wrong or whether he was hoping to come in and i, I i've only it's my first my second week here british, so british politeness means that if someone is in the middle of something they will if they, if you weren't doing anything you'd be out of there there'd be some tutting hissing stuff like that but because yeah. you're on a call and you're doing something british politeness people will literally put you know their own needs just to not embarrass you i wonder what um i wonder what i could get away with doing in here that people would still let me continue <laughs> should you put that to the test if i'm like practicing a stripping show or <laughs> i mean you don't, you don't have to watch it all jd but you no, just... <laughs> what 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 you need to do is uh, people come in and you uh, you need to be doing something where you tell them oh I didn't realise this was a recording studio. I thought it was. And so, and just something really weird. I thought this was the sauna. 
I think because of because of those noise things on the wall, I think just screaming and hitting the wall in rage. It's a good um, it's a good anti-rage room. But um, but how are you, Jenny? Padded walls. That's padded walls. But too bad. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Bad Boy Running. Um, we this this is the normal start. So get used to us uh, not really talking about running. We talk a lot about running later, don't we? We talk so much running, it'll make your ears bleed. It will from the pressure atmospheric pressure of running with the kenyans oh my god what a what a, what a segue that's a they, great segue unfortunately it's, a, it's about 20 minutes too early <laughs> it is it is but how are you jd i'm all right thank you i'm good i'm running i'm doing a bit of swimming i'm still I haven't brought myself to do any cycling yet although i tried going on the cycle in um in the gym uh for like 15 minutes it was the most boring 15 minutes of 2020 so far it's so boring yeah i mean there's 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 nothing to go away from it you can alternately alternatively do that for six hours (laughs) on the road if you'd like with lots of other people that are finding it boring but oh it's just it's absolutely it's so tedious um, but I do, I'm gonna just I'm gonna build up I'm gonna build up um, so just do uh, like you know 15 minutes half an hour 45 hour then see see how I get on and then eventually I'm gonna borrow a road bike off someone and see how that works. I don't know I don't know how to use a road bike or anything. I have no idea. I, I'm gonna it's like I'm being taught again. What do you think the complication is? I don't know how to use gears. Do they have gears on a road bike? Yes, they, of course they do. They do not not all. If you if you're a hipster in East London like this guy, they've got <laughs> they've got fixies, and I don't know why. I think they're cheaper, which makes them cooler, and they come in different colours. But yeah, other than that, they do. Have you used clipping pedals before? No, no way. What? No, not at all. Well, mate, that is when that is next level cycling, basically, and to, you have to do that for the Ironman. If you haven't got clipped in pedals. <laughs> It, that will probably save you half an hour. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah, because the the efficiency gains of being able to pull up as well as down and then not losing any of your um, force from that circular motion. I think we're getting very advanced at this stage. I can barely I can barely cycle for fifteen minutes at but this point. I don't we... know if it's going to add half an hour efficiency onto 15 minutes worth of cycling but maybe if we get enough of these efficiencies you don't even need to train you just rock up and you've kind of done it already because we're I, so super efficient i i don't i like i said i a lot there um I need to find a, a kind of training plan like that that allows me to hack my way through it. I liked it when you were planning to swim the channel underwater with Lee Stuart Evans and your training plan was just play, just, just do it in a swimming pool and that'll yeah. be enough. Go, go, go for loads of runs to get my heart up and then uh, just get used to being a bit wet. <laughs> So yeah, I'm looking for a similar a similar uh, hack. If you are listening to this podcast and you happen to to run Ironmans, uh, get out firstly, uh, but then come back in and explain to me how to do it all. Um, that might be quite useful. Or do bad as maybe these hacks haven't been created yet. Created yet, they just need a bit of imaginative thought. 
so alternatively get in the podcast group and the facebook group and um suggest to jody potential ways in which he could save time on an ironman i think he'd love that oh i would love that i would love that i mean like taking a speedboat probably shortens the swim <laughs> somewhat but we're not looking for those type of those type of uh, things do they when you swim now do they they give you a little bag don't they when you swim do they still do, i i, I you saw get your some... goodie bag at the start <laughs> no, I, I i we were in the isle of Wight, and there were a bunch of people like from this like triathlon group and stuff and they all went into the water and they all had little bags with them that attached to them which uh, I, I think buoyancy things or whatever um but that must be a nightmare like a load of people yeah. with bags yeah absolutely and well can they do they check what's under the water could you use one of those james bond machines to drag <laughs> them along you know the ones i mean it was yeah. i think it was roger moore era yeah oh that's going to definitely be roger moore era yeah that would be that would that would be some next level stuff like they just you could attach one of those um uh, like scuba engine things on can't you just attach that under just have someone waiting in the water for when you get in there make sure that you're at the back they come up clip it on yes switch it on you wouldn't you wouldn't go crazy you just keep it so you stay sort of mid-pack so there'd be no no suggestions you do all the paddly arm stuff and then just before you finish up they come clip it off and straight into the straight into the bike ride what you need is a dolphin toe (laughs) (laughs) it might take some more training but it'd be worth it it would be, the and first, everyone says it's wonderful swimming with dolphins. So the it'd first be dolphin-assisted swim. <laughs> They're probably not banned. I, Iron Man would ban that. Iron Man, because they're so joyless. They ban everything, don't they? Yeah, I mean, if you could somehow get one of the basking sharks and then just run on it, stationary running, as it's going out across. So it's looking like... That's it. That's the way to say I'm not a swimmer. But I have I've got some gossip for you. Oh, I love some gossip. Now, is it we, unrelated gossip? Is it boring? It's kind of 50-50. I mean, have we have we talked about Tough Mudder already, haven't we? Yeah, I've talked about Tough Mudder and the. So I was out for a drink with a friend of mine who has a multi-series, multi-day um, adventure company. And they were tapped up by someone very, very senior from Sparta. From, from, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we probably, I didn't say it. I didn't say it. That's fine. From a, an, an obstacle race company to potentially invest in them with the long-term aim of, of buying it up in the future. So they then shared with them their kind of business model, a lot of the financials, and said person then walked away. Now, they didn't think this was that unusual until they had a conversation with someone else who said he'd done it to them as well. And so there's a suspicion that said person is essentially going around, sniffing out different business models in running and endurance to try and figure out which one to rip off. Oh, really? Which is pretty bad going. Yeah. Isn't... Isn't the whole of RCO a rip, OCR a ripoff from an original yeah, um, concept? It was from um, from one of my journeys home um, from in London, Cardiff, twenty four. Uh, no, it's like, <laughs> what, 
can't do that. I can't do that. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that that's ripped off as well, and in a way, that's ripped off the army. Yeah. So, but I think this is. And the huge... army ripped it off from the Krypton factor. Yes. It's, yeah. Which ripped it off. Uh, so ripped it off Superman two. Superman two. It's a bad joke to do with Kryptonite. He's from Krypton. He's from. Krypton. Oh god. Sorry. That anyway. Was really shit. It was bad. <laughs> <laughs> He'd have picked up quicker. It would have been so bad. Anyway, anyway, apologies, do bad. We, we we don't normally give out that level of cringe dad joke. But um, yeah, I think there's there's one thing where if you're if you're involved in something and and you're inspired and you you do something similar. So a lot of obstacle racers set up their own obstacle races, and in some ways it was flattery as opposed to thinking. Yeah. I'm going to steal their idea and make money for myself. It's more, this is so cool. What do we do like this? Yeah. Whereas once you're an established player and I assume you're making money, you've got to be making money um, to then go around trying to basically use your size to, to, to pull out the rug from lots and lots of startups who are all doing these things in positive ways because they love the sport and they want to get yeah. people involved in it i mean that's pretty shameful that's that shows you though doesn't it is that that point of consolidation isn't it that's it it's like when you when you get to a market that starts getting dominated then it's it is like pushing that power around in that way that is just a classic example of you know it, it 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 was all kind of like nice and friendly you know when uh like you say p- fans were essentially opening up uh ocr events and events in areas maybe that weren't covered already so it kind of was okay in that and there was there you know it looked like it was a it was all good for the industry and now it's now there's a threat and, and maybe it's a sign of desperation that... uh, or, or just in trying to entrench your your position Try and entrench, entrench your, your position and, make, and just uh, kill off any any threats because mm-hmm. you know um, the kind of one one threat has already been, one of the big threats has already been killed off. Yeah, well, I mean, there is now only one company, isn't there? Um, globally. Yeah. Uh, well, I've got a, I've got a question for you. Okay. So it doesn't require me to have any knowledge or anything, does it? I mean, I think you can answer this, but now that I'm not running. Yeah. Where where do people get so many? You need so many more pairs of pants. <laughs> what? I'm running out of pants the whole time. Wh- wh- why? Why are you running out of pants? Because normally I'd be in shorts, and then I run a place, run to a place. I get up in the morning, put my shorts on, run to a place, put my shorts on, and sometimes if I was going to wear jeans later that night, I'd wear those undershort things with shorts, and then I switch into my jeans. And now I'm not running. Oh my god! You got to wear pants like every day. But then you, but you, you've made up for the fact you must have lots of pairs of shorts. Yes, that's true. But I, I can't wear those under my pant, under my trousers because I, I imagine you do that all the time normally. Sometimes, but why, um, why wear pants at all, David? I wouldn't have thought you were a pants man. It's a good point. That is a good point. Well, I don't know the. I think if you, if you ask the question. Does David have pants or does he go commando? <laughs> I think in a poll, pretty much 95% would easily go for commando, which is ironic. So what, you're saying that because I'm the least commando <laughs> individual. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to make a Special Forces Hell Week related joke. Yeah, it hit hard, it hit hard. Well, 
um well good that's good to know that i can get away with not wearing i mean this time last year people very much knew that i wore undergarments uh if you recall but uh maybe we won't revisit that with the national running show so close <laughs> to that. I like I like how the majority of the discussion around um, our participation in the running show is around what is David going to turn up wearing? <laughs> <laughs> because there's always that fear that that you're either going to go um, full running awards uh, with yeah. the, the Sioux or you might go, what the fuck is that Bulgarian look that you had, which it, no one has really been able to make sense of. That was good. That was like a top and, a t- and jeans. That's a cool kind <laughs> of... The vest and jeans. Vest and jeans. That's called the Bruce. It's called the Bruce. The Willis. <laughs> but, um... Ooh, but I, this, right, I just want to make a general point here. Ages ago, someone said, socks are socks. Which is why we're talking about underwear. There. Socks are socks. Burr, burr, burr. Socks are socks. One pair of socks is like another pair of socks. And I used to believe that. Have you ever worn a pair of sea salt socks? Have I ever heard of a pair of sea salt socks? Oh, my God. They will change your life. They are the best. These aren't running socks. These are just normal socks, like for normal people. These are the best socks you can buy. They are so good. It is like having two leprechauns hugging your feet. <laughs> it is, they are amazing. And it's a sea salt socks made by Simon Shepherd. <laughs> Or some of you know, you know, you know when you get a present and it's some socks and you're like, oh, <laughs> why don't you get me something proper? And then you go, right, I'll put them on. And you put them on, you're like, oh, this, <laughs> this, oh, what, what's happening here? This, Is it like that this, after the second wash, though? My feet, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and then they all they've also they so these they're their normal socks i don't know how much these things i think they're like 23 pounds for three pairs they're <laughs> okay. pretty expensive right. they're pretty pro- right for three pairs yeah 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 uh, but then you can also buy the night socks which are a much thicker uh version of them and it's just three times the amount of loving that they're giving your feet i i just i i want to know and i don't i know this isn't running related at all although no, it's not a matter of at all. But I'd like to know if there's any Jew Ballers out there who are up on the benefits of, of sea salt socks because they are incredible. You know, like, you never thought socks could get that good. Well, they did. And what, what are they made out of? Salt? I don't know. I don't know. They, they just scrape them out of the ocean. I have no idea. I'm gonna, they'll turn out they're probably not vegan in a minute. And that's why I, I've never really looked at <laughs> that, whether they are or not. And I'll probably be, have them taken away from me. But oh, they're amazing! Great natural bamboo or cotton. How are they bamboo? Oh yeah, there are loads of things made out of bamboo now, aren't they? Ah, but does that mean we're starving pandas? <laughs> that does. That's the that's the payoff. Pandas <laughs> starving for my comfortable feet. Oh, I tell you what, if you if you've ever struggled, do bad. This is a public service announcement. If you've ever struggled with bad socks, or you just think, oh, socks are socks. These, oh, they are amazing. Is that is that why pandas then aren't Procreating, procreating because they're they're procreating they're too relaxed they're just they've got their sea salt socks on <laughs> yeah, <that's what> they're... 
They're just they're, even their innards are like the sea salt socks. It's just like ah, oh, when they had a big meal. They snuggle up to each other. And they're like, oh, this is just so comfortable. It's just oh, I don't want to procreate with this. It's just so cuddly. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we should get them as their potential sponsor because for once they don't clash with any of the brands that I'm already sponsored by. So <laughs> there's a little bit of room, a little bit of room. <laughs> and sea salt official sponsors of uh, Bad Boy Running. And let's um, be honest, at £15 a pop, I'm not going to be buying them for myself. So, uh, Well, that's yeah. it. They're, good. They're, they're, they're obviously a present someone else is giving you, someone who is uh, very unimaginative uh, is giving you. Um, who was it? Oh, my mum. Ah, oh, so mum's done well. Mum's done good. Yeah, mum's done really well. Well done, mum. Well, talking about family members. Whoa, good seg, maybe. I've... Uh, I'm pretty sure I've seen your sister on a Premier League advert. Oh, yeah, that's her. <laughs> that is amazing. Like, that is, she's getting into the big bucks now. She's in loads of stuff. She's, I mean, did you see her on the, she was on, t, uh, on the Amazon, Amazon Prime TV thing with Harry Redknapp. No. Did you not see that? She, she opened the door to him. Why was Harry Redknapp visiting your sister? Obviously delivering something important yeah i bet (laughs) (laughs) oh wow so she's not only is that her link so harry said i'll sort you out of a premier league advert no 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 the premier league advert was quite an old one um you may see her in things like a peppa pig world like she's in she's in uh they've got a ride um so on the peppa pig world thing she's in with a family so she's got a family in there um yeah she's in she's in a lot of stuff at the moment is she the new Smiley Eileen? She, do you see the running ad she was in? Yes. And, yes. and also Macmillan or something, wasn't it? Yes. Well, yes. Do you know everywhere she's been or is there a chance that she is also in adverts that you're yet to know of? Uh, I can't keep up with it. She's in so many now, like print and uh, TV stuff. So she, was in, she was in an ad for um, McGuigan Wine. It was like the worst ad ever. It was hilarious. <laughs> well, do batters. We need we need you to be on the lookout. Where is Spot Jody's sister? Hashtag Spot Jody's sister. Yeah, absolutely. If you remember, if you remember, she was in that ad. Uh, we were having that discussion. This was hilarious. We were having that discussion about um, uh, in the Facebook group, and it was about uh, Beaver Town, and they were giving um, uh, free beer if you committed and signed up for Giving Blood. And I said in that group, I hope they don't mean you do it at the same time. And the person, I can't remember who I was, I was conversing with, said, yes, you do. Here's a picture. And it was a picture of my sister with a drip in one arm and a beaver <laughs> can in another. And I'm like, that's just a post shot. That's not what's going to happen. <laughs> that's just- brilliant. So do you think there's a rival podcast in China who are like, who is this generic white girl <laughs> it was in all our adverts can we track her down and figure out who she is she's done the air china advert actually <laughs> <laughs> it could be there could be this rival universe amazing <laughs> that's good well i've got some recommendations for you oh uh... wait i've just remembered something mm. that, that netflix recommendation when you said the most shocking um uh, cha- shift and you think you think it's going to be um, you think it's going to be something, and then something else happens. 
Uh, that, with, tell me who I am. Yeah, tell me who I am. Oh my god. Because I was thinking, I was, I was watching that. I'm not going to do, do any spoilers here because it, it's a really powerful uh, documentary. But as I was watching it, I kept thinking, well, it's kind of obvious what's going to happen. It's kind of obvious where this is all leading. And then... Whisper and off think, cam. Whisper off cam. Not off cam. Off mic, what you think was going to happen. Well, I just, I thought it was going to be like, okay, they, they were abused by their parents as children. And I thought that was it. And that's horrific. But I just thought, I don't see where the shock is coming. It's all building up to that. Mm. And then when it reveals it, you're like, oh, wow. I hadn't mm. even thought of that. And you're just like, and, and just the, the whole the whole dynamic between the situation that that twin was in, in either telling him or not telling him, saving from it, but also losing that connection. It was, it is it, it one of those ones that just sticks with you. And you're like, I don't know what I do in that situation. Yeah. I, I, don't. I don't know what's right. And now... Has he done the right thing? It might be yeah. the other brothers destroyed and just he knows the truth, but can't get back. Can't put the. Um, yeah, can't I don't put... think we could say. I don't think we say much more without. But it's mm. you should watch it. It's just it's quite. Um, uh, it's not harrowing. It's all done like very sort of matter of fact. But just like things reveal himself, and you just think this is getting weirder and weirder. And then when when that when the final uh, thing is revealed, you're like, oh wow that is another level so i've got two for you i'll do one quickly just because it's i imagine just in the uk so not that great for our international listeners but have you seen blind boy on bbc it's amazing it is is absolutely incredible i i'd say that i've been disappointed with most television for the last 15 years there's been some <laughs> but only that long, <laughs> long. but but there's there's been some really good dramas which it seems that's what's amazing now there's been some good documentaries but there's not really been anything that's quite political and actually is making a statement and you know educating the in an entertaining way you've got things like the mash report which is essentially a rip-off of The Onion 15 years later and really dull. But Blind Boy, oh my word, it's incredible. This guy, for some reason, wears a plastic bag over his face. He's got a thick Irish accent and it's all cut together like an MTV video, similar to um, kind of an Adam Adam Curtis documentary, but with more stupidity and hilarity. He's a very funny guy, but he sets up, um, it was in the press a few weeks ago, he sets up a lot of influencers by offering them this fake product that actually has got, um, what's the, one of the deadliest drugs known to man, also found in Apple cyanide it's got cyanide in it and they're all there saying oh i don't care what it is yeah absolutely give it to me i'll um i'll do some posts uh you've got to pay this much and that's just one of the things he does but he he really looks at the psychology behind society it's just amazing but for it's for the millennial generation and so the way it's done you're like this is the first time i've ever seen anything like this it's so so entertaining but so so well scripted and so right on as well but so that's a quick one the other one one, right i just say i've got to go in six minutes six minutes we got yeah i think we could do it we've got six minutes okay so have you seen don't mess with cats oh i've heard about this 
I've heard that, about this. Apparently, the first first part of it, you've got to get over if you like cats. And then afterwards, it goes incredible. Yeah. So it's actually called Don't F-Bomb with Cats, I think. Yeah. It is, it, it is unbelievable. Uh, Claire's football friend's friend was the producer director. Oh, really? Yeah. So, which is why we watched it. And And like you said, you look at that and you think, it's going to be a story about that lady who pushed yeah. a cat in and how social media has sprung up against her and there's been you know, internet shaming. But actually, wow, all the way through the documentary, three episodes, you think this should have only been, yeah, this should have been only been one episode. And then you go, oh, ah. and then like, yeah, probably should have only been two. Oh, whoa. And it just gets weirder and weirder and weirder but without revealing too much what's great about it is there's a someone who's suspected of being having psychopathic tendencies who's young who's who basically kills cats and puts the videos online but he taunts the people who are being appalled by this by challenging them to find him but even within that he's left intentional clues and he's thought about it so far in advance that he's actually misdirected them incredibly well. So the documentary is about the hunt for this guy and how what he's doing increases to taunt them. But also it's really interesting because it's a reflection on the people who are trying to find him as well, because they are almost self-aware that they're complete nerds who have basically got far too wrapped up in this this nonsensical hunt for this guy and it overwhelms their lives and this documentary is their chance to kind of tell their story and justify the fact they've spent hours after hours when you look at the analysis they've done and the way they come together in this facebook group it's incredible it's kind of next level policing but the whole way through it's got that that tint of well this is kind of weird that you're going to this length to also catch this guy but it just it's it's amazing it's so it's like a marathon investigation for cats <laughs> yes it's a it is exactly and it's exactly like that where sometimes you think that i know you're doing that but the difference is that marathon investigation he now clearly is led by the fact that he gets all these people who listen to him and read his yeah. his article and he's kind of got swept up in the in the feedback loop of it. These people didn't. The difference is they almost got caught up in the excitement and the feedback internal loop of a Facebook group yeah. where they are all in this together. They found their community, which you, you suspect they didn't really have in their own offline lives and so it's a, an amazing combination <laughs> of all that but also as with all the best documentaries as, as with um what's it called oh god i hate having an old man's mind now like with um something fish and with um the last catfish you mean cat, yeah like with catfish and the last queen of the site like with all great documentaries yeah there just gets twists and twists and twists that just could not have been foreseen. So, um, so it's a, basically it's a documentary about um, a bunch of people in a Facebook group who um, <laughs> egg each other on, listen to internal feedback, uh, and basically become obsessed uh, with something. Right? That 
that somehow resonates. Uh, <laughs> we, I, can't, I, can't, I can't see how that applies in any way. And I'm, I'm saying that that's a good thing because it, <laughs> it creates unbelievably oh, yeah. entertaining content. That's that's the point. That's my point. <laughs> but from incredible content online to incredible content in a book. There you go. <laughs> the first sake was much better. It was much better, wasn't it? Oh, we should we should just cut then. We should just cut then. Nick, take it away. So you do badders, you've been asking us to get this guest on for some time now. Doesn't really need much of an introduction because you've probably read at least one of his books, probably two, maybe three. Um, but Welcome to the podcast, writer of Running with the Kenyans, um, uh, Darren and Finn. Perfectly. Well done. Uh, thank you for having me. Good to be here. Suddenly had paranoia just before I said your name. Like We've discussed it. You've already told us how everyone else screws it up. We are unprofessional, but maybe we can get something right. <laughs> I, 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 always, I always consider it a sign of intelligence, someone who can get my name straight off. That's... Uh, well you're, you're up there with it well that test has just been blown yeah exactly <laughs> gonna have to rethink that rule <laughs> yeah. how's um how are you with the with the most recent book have you have you are you finished touring promoting or are you is it quite a long process uh yeah it, it's it's not kind of a structured tour that that uh, that i get i basically get invites from random book festivals and events and running festivals and this that and the other so i've still got quite a few lined up actually in in the coming year and, and i guess not everyone's having me there just because of the latest book they uh they i guess is the com- combination of three books uh people are interested to ask me about all of them so uh yeah the, the publishers don't really set set up a book tour as such it just it's up to the festivals and, and people to like i'm going to in a couple of weeks i'm going to a bookshop in in amsterdam they just decided they wanted to invite me over they said they'd pay the train fare and would I come over so you know just kind of kind of happens randomly fit it in around the rest of my life <laughs> oh fantastic well we, we're going to talk about Rise of the Ultra Runner um, in due course but before we talk about the specific books like JD and I um, as, as you probably know are, are both very well respected running journalists you know in, in our in our own right in our own right um <laughs> I've I've had at least uh, I think four articles published, so uh, you know the big bucks are, are rolling in. Um, <laughs> pretty much retire now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that's, um, that's what that's what the readers keep asking for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but um, I mean, running running with the Kenyans was your 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 very first running book, and it it seemed to come very quickly and and out of nowhere. I mean, how how did that all that start? Yeah, it wasn't quick. For me, I've been I've been working on the idea of a book for for years. Actually, uh, I had this I had this idea. This is quite a long story, so I'll try and tell it fairly briefly. But I had this idea for a book which was going to be called Why We Run, and I was very intrigued by this idea of why do because I, I I used to I used to kind of think I enjoyed running, but also part of the time I thought I didn't really enjoy running. Yet I still did it. I'd go out and it'd be cold, and I didn't really want to go, and I'd run around you know pretty hard for half an hour in a big circle, come back home and go, well, I, at that point I would love it. But then I, the next day I'm like, why, why do I do this? What's, you know, what am I trying to achieve with all this? And I, and so I came up with this idea of a book exploring that kind of phenomena. There's so many mm. people going out there running and, and what are they trying to get out of it? 
Uh, and it took me years because I didn't really think anyone was going to publish it. I was just, I was just playing with ideas, really. Uh, and and I had this, I, I had this thought, like, I wonder if it's the same reason in other countries why people run. And, and the two countries, inter- interestingly, that I, I kind of happened upon was Kenya and Japan. I thought, I wonder if in Kenya and like and in Japan, if they run for the same reasons, or whether there's a whole different thought process going on. So I was pitching this book and I got an agent actually. I, I wrote a sample chapter and uh, I got an agent and they were publish, pitching it to publishers and they weren't quite going for it. And I was talking to people about this idea. I got an agent. I suddenly thought I was I was like best-selling author already. When you get an agent, that, that, that happens a lot. People think. <laughs> uh, and so I was going, hey, I've got an agent. I'm writing a book. And they'd ask me what it was about. And I'd say, it's all about why we run and a bit like you guys just just now i could see you know people's eyes glazing over a little bit do enjoy it what's 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 this about and then i'd say and i'm going to go to kenya and i'm going to see if they run for the same reason i could see just see people's eyes light up whenever i said that and i just started thinking that's that's the bit that's really interesting and that was the bit that was really interesting to me and then I just thought, you know what, that's what I should do. I should just go to Kenya. That's that's the interesting bit and do that. So I ended up doing that and uh, and it all started from there, basically. And and, and what from your experience before you'd, you'd written running the Ken, then Kenyans, um, you know, how do publishers view running books? Well, I, in a way, I knew nothing about running books at that point. Uh, and so as soon as I got the 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 book deal and I, and I was quite in, I was quite intrigued because uh I got quite a few publishers interested and then I realized it was a bit the timing was just perfect because uh Born to Run had been out a couple of years mm. and was a phenomenal phenomenal success and so a lot of publishers were looking for the next Born to Run and then in the UK uh, not quite as successful but fairly successful was Feet in the Clouds had been mm. out at a similar time two so first think- books I read in running yeah, and which was which was a brilliant book, and I read them both, and and I think looking looking back now, I think up until that point there hadn't really been any successful running books, and then suddenly there were two. So so publishers were a little bit on the lookout, unbeknown to me. So I just turned up at the, at the right time. But what was your question? Why why are there no not many good running books? Is that? <laughs> well, no, that, that's what we said. That's what we said before the interview started. But yeah, I mean, Jody and I often talk about how dull running books tend to be some of them need to be because they're training manuals essentially yeah. and, and and it's it's just surprising where just the like the the volume of books where you look at them and you read them and you're like I, I just don't even understand how this got published what what yeah. they doesn't like when you said you found an angle uh, yeah. and explored it like some of those like someone went for a run and wrote about it and and that's all it is and you think well how, how does some of these ones get published what so they, they, like there must kind of be some thinking behind that from the publishers where they're thinking yeah let's just get a load of really dull ones uh, just to you know put next to the really really good ones i don't you know how how it's just yeah, how they I, mean, I i don't know because i i i was feeling a little bit like that because initially my idea of how why we run but kept getting rejected and i was going but it's there's all these rubbish running books out there. Why, you know, why is mine getting rejected? I didn't know. And then, and then, you know, then I came up with this running with the Kenyans idea, which I actually, I remember I'd always genuinely be fascinated by the Kenyans. And I thought that is a book I would love to read. If I saw that on the yeah. shelf on Amazon, I, I would, I would really want to read that, which was, a, which is a good sign. But yeah, I didn't understand why there were so many books just about 
people training for a marathon and, and going through the highs and lows of that. I don't know. I guess up until that point, that you know, there is there is a big target audience. There's a lot of people run, a lot of people mm. run. And I always found with running books, even ones I've been reading that I didn't really enjoy, that I thought were badly written, I think running books, especially if someone's like training for a race, which is usually the narrative, there's this kind of narrative drive inherent in, in, in the fact that I remember reading one book and I really wasn't enjoying it. I thought it was really badly written, but I really wanted to know how we did in the race at the end. So I kept reading. I just kept reading. And so, you know, there is there is a kind of natural storyline there already to, to any of these books. And uh yeah, but I, I don't. I don't know. I'm not. I don't, I'm not in. I, even though I'm a writer, I'm not really in the publishing industry as such. So I don't. I often, you know, I read that not only running books but lots of books. You read them and you think, who thought this was a good idea? You know, and sometimes they're popular books as well. You know, and that's the other thing. It's a matter of taste. I mean, mm. you know, I've read books that nobody reads. There's one book called Barefoot Runner uh, that nobody ever mentions. It's the story of Baby Bikili uh the first african to win the gold medal won the olympic marathon in 1960 and i love that book and hardly anyone ever mentions that in their favorite running books and then there are books that people love i won't mention names oh, so- come on come on gives it gives a cryptic crossword clue <laughs> well the current the current best-selling uh running running book uh which is not born to run in the uk anyway uh i just i just didn't really enjoy it it's uh I can't even remember what it's called now. Anyways, <laughs> and and do you, do you think these these books that that basically suck balls? Is that because the 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 writers are not good writers, can't bring story to life, or because they're runners and therefore focus on the running element, which is essentially boring, or because running in itself is quite a tough tub, a subject to talk about? No, I think it's it's not not good writers i think i think someone's done a run uh and and the publishers thought wow that sounds amazing and they've given them a publishing deal i mean i think running running is in some ways i mean there are lots and lots it's easy to talk about blogs because there are endless endless blogs and people are, uh, tell accounts of their of their runs and their races i mean there are millions of those and you, mm. you start reading them and you think you know there's so many ways to tell this this story but but actually essentially it is quite a difficult subject because it's just, you know, A to B. And it's a story, you know, loads of other people did that same run, went through the similar experiences. And so, you know, it, it, the, but that's what intrigued me about running. It was the simplest thing, but it was this enigmatic thing as well, this thing that had a kind of deeper reasoning. I always, I always remember, and, and also there's, the, the, there's this dynamic before you run, you never really feel like you never really want to run. And if someone says to you at that point, "Why do you run?" You go, "I don't know," you know. And and I was with running, I, I run with running clubs for years and years. And there's often this like sense of why are we doing this on a cold, <laughs> wet winter's night? You're standing there huddled around, about to go out for the run. We must be mad, or you know, what are we doing? And God, I wish I'd stayed at home tonight. And then afterwards, no one's ever saying that. Everyone afterwards is just buzzing and like, oh, see you next week. Yeah, definitely be there. He'll be there yeah, coming along next week. And so there's, there's something in that transformation that's really interesting, but it's quite hard to grasp. And I think even if you ask runners themselves, why do you run? It, it's hard for them. Like it was for me, it was hard. Unless you really spend time digging down, it's hard to know why you do it. And so I thought there was there's, it is an interesting subject, but it's one you've got to, 
you've got to pause and you've got to take time. You've got to dig really deep into into the actual experience of what's going on there. <laughs> now, um, to talk to talk um, about running with the Kenyans, um, obviously not in as length as we will do um, Rise of the Ultra Runner, but what would you say were the main things you took away from how they do things that's different to us? God, I mean, I have to, cause I, cause I've, I've kind of taken on board a lot of these things. I have to kind of transform. Mm. Trans- remind yourself of when, yeah, where you were before. Right. So one of the first things that, I, that surprised the hell out of me is I'd always been, and it, it's not that uncommon, but in my, my world of running, every running, every training session had to be hard Every time I went out for a run, it had to be a decent pace. I couldn't go for a, a slow jog. And then I went off running with some Kenyans and they were doing like 10 minute miles. And these guys, you know, were 27 minute, 26 minute 10K runners, you know, half marathon world record. I'd, I'd actually, first time I went for a run was with the 10K world record holder. So at the time, so he was, uh, he was pretty swift. And, uh, and Vivian Chariot, who was the, uh, mm. the Olympic champion. And they were jogging so slowly. I actually thought they were playing a trick on me. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) some joke at the expense of the white guy. Uh, And they were like, I was going, what's going on? And they were like, what do you mean? So why are we running so slowly? And they're like, whoa, it's easy run. And so that that was interesting. Uh, You know, there's a lot about the Kenyans, which is to do with the way they live and their upbringing and their lifestyle, which is not necessarily something you want to emulate. You know, you don't necessarily want to walk around everywhere barefoot. You don't necessarily want to have mm-hmm. no, like, tasty food. <laughs> you mm. probably don't want to have to send your kids on a five-mile run to school every morning and never go anywhere in the car and have to spend the evening, like, looking for, you know, water in the, in the, down in the river and, and all that kind of stuff. So, a lot of that toughness and that that drive that they have comes from their lifestyle and uh, and and that was that was interesting i mean the the barefoot thing was very interesting for me because i'd read born to run just before mm. I got there and i remember that was quite revelatory for me uh and i went on a big long journey through all three books uh trying to work out the nub of this and I, and and so my final conclusions briefly are that i think the fact that they grow up, they grow up running barefoot does have a big influence on their running form, and I think their running form, their running efficiency is incredible. And I think if you watch most Kenyan runners, they just, and people say they look so effortless, and and it, and it is because they are their 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 form is so efficient. They're not using as much energy, and even the top Western runners. I mean, some of them are great, you know, but but you can find particularly among the the, the women sometimes their form looks quite laborious, and I think if you could run like the Kenyans, you, you know, you'd be much faster, but it's not purely about barefoot running. It's all to do with, you know, well, I, I, so I was, what I did is I just started wearing barefoot running shoes and trying to run like the Kenyans, but their, their whole core strength and their whole physique is developed doing this where I spent years and years sitting in an office, uh, everything, <laughs> nothing worked anymore. So I started trying to run like them just by taking my shoes off. And it was a complete disaster, and ended up good. <laughs> and which is, a, which is, it turns out, is a very common story. Yeah. You know, the number of people who've been through this process of reading Born to Run, being inspired, wearing zero drop shoes, ending up injured is is amazing. And and I realised you've got to kind of rebuild your body. And also, 
you know work on your running form it's not just about your feet it's about your whole you know your whole system your body is a system and it needs to work in a certain way but but that that was a big part of the story in a way for me so do, do you think we should be okay jenny I was going to say, just in terms of answering that specific question then about, you know, like you say before we were going out for a run in the UK, we all sort of murmuring going, oh, yeah, do we, do we really want to go out, you know, and everything like that. What, what, is, what is, when you started going out running with them, what is their state of mind? Is, is that different? Yeah, that's interesting. They do have a different state of mind when it comes to that kind of stuff as well, because they really, in some ways, like for us, running is quite, a, it's quite an effort, a physical effort and yeah. uh and we're doing it we're doing it for enjoyment but but even particularly the people who are doing it to try and become successful are, are kind of having to sacrifice a lot there they could be doing there are easier ways to make money and there are easier ways to kind of have fun and there are, but for the kenyans actually running is the easy life like yeah. if they weren't running and they weren't chasing the chance of becoming a runner they'd have to be farming which is and, and farming without farm machinery and herding cows and so they kind of see themselves as quite fortunate, the, the athletes, even the ones who aren't successful. Uh, and, and actually, they spend so much of their time lazing around, doing nothing, sleeping. That actually, getting up for a run is like, this is the, this is the highlight of the day. This is like, we're actually doing something now. So they, <laughs> they meet together. They're quite enthused to go for a run because they know the rest of the day, this is going to be a bit boring and <laughs> sitting around. So, yeah, there isn't that that sense i mean i wouldn't say they're like super super hyped to run they're not like super mm. excited but it's just they just take it in their stride it's not there's definitely no fear about it and and it's interesting actually brother colin told me i asked him actually it was his assistant coach ian i was asking him about the slow running and why they do so much slow running and, and of course there's lots of recovery run uh, benefits from going slow but he had an interesting answer which i'd never heard before and he said, well, if you run hard every time, your body starts to fear running, starts to think, oh, you know, I'm going for a run. That's that thing where I'm going to hurt myself. You know, I'm going to be hurting. I'm going to be struggling. Whereas if you run slowly, lots of the time, running becomes this kind of easy thing that you're completely, you know, your body just completely accepting of it. And then every now and then you just go hard. And, and it's just it's just you don't get this kind of sense of, oh, God, not a run again. You know, you, you're just it's just most of the time it's easy and then and then when you're ready you go hard so it was an interesting answer i thought i think there's an element to that and yeah. what, what are their um because in in uk clubs and and just running in general well i say probably western there is a lot of alpha and and kind of slightly macho and egos with every run with you know with races like is that similar over there and kind of how do they all interact with each other and, and how does that then spill out into how they train yeah that's interesting i mean there is there's kind of two things going on there i mean so you get you get the young runners who mm. are trying to get noticed basically so once once you've been successful and you've got a manager and you're doing races you, you've got less need to to impress people and I've seen people like Elliot Kipchoge and Wilson Kipsang well maybe not a good example now <laughs> but I've seen some of these top runners training in a group and you wouldn't know who was the star in that group because they're not leading the sessions they're not you know they're just sitting in the group happily churning away with everybody else where the young guys are often trying to make make a mark so they'll be they'll be pushing the pace at the front but what's interesting is that they, there isn't this feeling that you should complete every session so what they would rather do is turn up say they're doing 10 times 400 
which is actually a pretty short session in Kenya. Let's say 15 times 400. Like the young guys would rather do five at the front and then drop out. Mm. They just want to show that they can run at that pace. And then next time they'll come, they'll do six, seven. And then the next time they'll do eight. And they've got no shame in that. I mean, I had a, a friend, Tom Payne, who was training with a group out there. He was oh, yeah. a 217 great. guy. And, and he was like, uh, if you watch the first two or three sets, <laughs> he, it was like he was on a different, you know, to playing a different sport. He was so far behind. He was getting <laughs> But come the 15th uh, uh, interval, there were only about three other runners going and he was still going. And he's like, I'm the only one who finishes the session apart from the, the kind of star guys. Uh, and, but, and does uh, that give him respect in their eyes? Or really? do they not really care? <laughs> no, they don't really care. <laughs> they're like why are you going slow you know you can do 15 go quicker and do 10 that, that just doesn't make sense to them and i think it's because they've got a it's so the competition is so high there because obviously tom was training for himself he had his own goals which mm. was not necessarily to beat the kenyans but was to kind of make the british team uh, so he wasn't but they're they're competing against the best kenyans so the only chance they've got is to is to be one of the best of the best so they're they're just pushing at the front the whole time and it, and it makes for races and, and training sessions which are pretty insane but like i say then you go on the other end of that you get the absolute stars will won't they won't race them back they'll just let them let them mm. go sit in the pack and they'll run their training i remember elliot saying he never goes more than 80 percent in a in a in a training session even like a hard workout he's always you know keeping something back and so and I've seen I've seen groups of very elite Kenyans running and, and like taking turns on the intervals, you know, and it doesn't and keeping the speed very consistent and definitely not racing each other. So so the thing about the Kenyans, I always get asked questions about the Kenyans and there's never really one answer because, you know, there's as many different ways of doing things there as there are here. But I guess there are some some commonalities. But And um, in terms of kind of introducing because have you seen the lessons you've learned that are in the book filter through to the rest of us you know are you seeing things changing you think directly because of it you know are we actually learning from them uh i'm not sure i mean i i i wasn't so aware i mean i i was pretty disconnected from the uh I mean, I started training with a running club just before I went to Kenya, and I, I trained for years as a junior. But uh, so, so, so this idea of running slowly was new to me. But I, I and so, and so, I see it a lot now. I see. Mm. Uh, just a second, Ossian. <laughs> you just pipe down. I'm just having this conversation. No, get him to sing. Sing more. <laughs> if you can sing, baby, come back by uh, Patty Banton on, on a podcast, Ossian. <laughs> That's my son. I just decided to. I don't know what he was singing, but <laughs> uh, so yeah. So so I don't, I don't know really. I mean, I know that, that I know there were coaches out there, and then there's more and more people going out there to train. Uh, when I was out there, you know, and the British the British team go out there, but they tend to they don't tend to follow the Kenyan training, and and they tend to follow their own training sessions. And I often think, yeah, it, I mean, it's tricky because part of what they do is, is I'm not necessarily sure that the training is is their secret in a way, and so mm. they may be not training necessarily in a better way. It's it's all to do with the the kind of upbringing and the strength, the natural strength and the natural speed, and just 
being in that competitive environment where they're having to they're having to compete against to get even get a race out there you've got to be so quick you've got to be so fast so well, the Brits can go out there and they can go, well, you know, I don't need to beat any of these guys. You know, I just got to beat the other Brits. It's a bit like that joke where, uh, I don't know if you've heard that joke. They tell it a lot in Kenya. I don't know why, but the uh, two guys break down out in the uh, out in the bush and the, the, the lions start circling and one of them starts putting on his running shoes. And they say, and the other guy says, what are you doing? You can't outrun a lion. He says, oh, I don't have to outrun a lion. I just have to outrun you. <laughs> and so uh, I think... <laughs> The Brits out there are a bit like that. They're not too fast by all these amazing Kenyans out there because, you know, I think they're just... Yeah, maybe Mo Farah was in a different case where he genuinely was looking around. Some of these guys are my rivals. I've got to, I've got to see what they're doing. But it's almost like there's there's two races going on. So, And, and when you say you, you and Tom were running with them, is it a case of, you know, they're meeting up on the corner at 10 and whoever shows up gets to run with them or is there a, a kind of an etiquette of actually joining in there was uh well it was different for tom and me tom so tom was invited out as uh, there was so so all these there are these running camps and they're often managed by a european uh, mm. and so there was a british guy uh, peter McHugh had a had a group at the time and he was also tom's manager so he he invited tom to be embedded in a group so tom would run with his group daily and actually because they would run so fast he had his own pacemaker so he would run at his own pace most of the time uh in my case there are big groups so there's loads and loads of people who come to attend but they don't like kenyans who don't get in any of these groups because a they've just arrived and so they're trying to make their mark or b they've been there for two or three years but they're still trying to make their mark uh and and there's there's hundreds of these guys and and women just living in 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 sleeping on people's floors and just getting up and joining these groups every morning. So I was doing that and it really was, I was just told, and it was always 5.50 for some reason, 5.50, not 10 o'clock. We've got all day. Why is it 5.50? Well, it's partly the temperature, but I I did always wonder why 5.50 because it it started getting light about 10 past six. So if you just wait till 10 past six, you can see where you're (laughs) And I'm like, what? But it was literally like there was one group I was in was called Mishualam, which means the end of the road. And it was just where the road stopped. That was where they would meet every morning. So they were known as the Mishualam group. And and Wilson Kipsang was was the captain of that group at the time. And he, he would he would just kind of announce the session. But we'd all mingle in the I just mingle amongst them in the dark. But the thing is, I had to turn up on the right day because they did. Like I say the slow running was pretty slow. So even though I was nowhere near an elite runner. I could quite happily join them on a 12k run if it was a slow day. Uh, I did one day by mistake turn up on fa- on fast day, <laughs> and uh, he actually it was Kipsang came over to me. Uh, you know, they, they you know I'm kind of even in the dark I'm quite noticeable there. <laughs> I only colour my skin, but I'm quite a bit taller than most of the uh, Kenyan runners. So he comes over and he said to me, do you know, today is fast. <laughs> I, I got the days wrong. I'm like, well, I'm, you know, I'm here now. Let's just experience this once. And if I last half a mile, I last half a mile. And, uh, and so, so I said, don't worry about me. Just if I can't keep up, just ignore me. And so we started and, and about 100 meters in and they were doing an 18K run that day. 100 meters in, I saw this turn off and I just turned off because I was at a flat out sprint already. <laughs> 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 yeah, I lasted about 100 meters, maybe less. 
and I was just like, oh my god, this is insane. So so yeah, as long as I didn't turn up on a fast day, uh, I was okay. And and would say we just turned up and mm-hmm. we're on that corner, yeah. would they you know would they kind of be like probably the bed not join us or would they just let us run with them and see what happens? They probably just let you run. I mean, I don't know. I have been going back most years, and and we have you know I think if there's too big of a group. There was one time I turned up and I was with a really big group of about 15 of us. And I don't know if we just got the wrong place, but we were standing there waiting. And I said, this is where we always meet. This is where we always meet. And, and nobody turned up. And lots of people's kind of, people kind of stopped and then disappeared again. I was like, have they all just decided they don't want to run with us or, or not? I don't know. But generally, I think, yeah, if there's two or three of you, just you can just turn up and, and they basically... They won't say a word. I mean, I did this in Nairobi, which is there's a, a much smaller running scene, but there is a running scene in the north of Nairobi, a place called Ngong. And uh, <clears throat> I was just in Nairobi for a week for some reason. I can't remember. And I, and I thought, well, I'll check out this this group. And someone told me, one of the runners told me, yeah, you, you meet at this corner, you know, 550 again. And so I turned up and I actually had to drive there. So it it was it was quite a rough part of Nairobi. And already just being in a car, being a white guy in a car at 5.50 in the morning, I felt slightly unsafe. I was kind of hiding in the car. People were walking by and looking in the window. Just <laughs> the car there already was was making making a bit of a scene. But then I saw the runners gathering, so I got out and I just walked over. And they they kind of noticed me straight away. Nobody said anything. And then they waited till it was time to go. And there was probably about 30 of them arrived. And then we started running. And they didn't say a word to me for about the first 15 minutes. And then we started running up this hill and I started dropping off and I started getting a bit worried because I wasn't sure where I was. And then one of them just dropped off with me and he said, don't worry, I'll stay with you. And, uh, and he ran the whole way with me. And so they're, they're, they're really amazingly welcoming. It was in a, sometimes in a quiet way, but, mm. and, you know, and then he ran back and then they all waited at the end. So when I got back, then, then they started chatting to me and asking me where I was from and what I'd done, you know, why I was there and all that kind of thing. And, and you mentioned Wilson Kipsang, and, and obviously he's he's hitting the headlines quite a bit at the moment. I mean, what's what's your take on it all? Yeah, I mean, on, on his individual case, yeah, I don't really. I mean, I was surprised because most of the. Uh, I mean, when I was in Kenya, there was one group that people were pointing fingers at, and it turned out up until now, up until Kipsang, all the big names that have been done have been from the same group. Mm. Uh, and, and it's always slightly annoyed me that when a Kenyan gets done, it's always like, oh, the Kenyans are cheating. Where mm. you know, when an American sprinter gets done, no one says, oh, we should ban Americans. Americans should be done. Or if you, you know, a Brit gets done, it's not like, oh, Brits are doping. But the Kenyans all get tarred with this one brush because they're, mm. they're kind of seen as this, you know, humo- homogenous group. But actually, they're not. There's lots of different groups and different training systems, and, and some people are more reputable than others i mean they're the brother columns group is 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 a really mm. tight-knit group they basically live in his house with him he's you know he's a i mean not that it means anything necessarily but he's an irish patrician brother he's very very you know morals are a very important point he's very much about character and these guys live in his house and so his guy's just broken the world uh, record in the 10k yeah uh and and i i would have a lot less doubt about that than some some of the other performances uh again i I don't really want to name names but you know like bridget uh the lady who won the broke the world record in the marriage yeah yeah yeah. she's from this group dr rose's group 
who like Matthew Casoria was from there, Rita Jeptu was from there, Asbel Kitrot was from there, all the other big names that had been done. And and when I was in Kenya, there was this sense that all the other groups, you could turn up at their training camp, you could go into the training camp, they would say, oh, hi. He'd say, yeah, he's here writing a book. Oh, they say, I'll sit down, have some tea. A couple of them invited me to stay. One group I stayed with for three days, another group I stayed with for six weeks. Uh, but Rosa's group, you couldn't go near. You know, So I, so I kind of had this feeling that there were two groups in kenya that were, were mm. potentially dodgy i didn't i don't want to <laughs> make any cast iron sense yeah he knows what's going on but but when when people could start getting done from that group it it wasn't a huge shock to me <clears throat> and then i talked earlier about the the huge competition just to get a race and i know that there are doctors in in Eldoret, which is the big city nearby you can go there you can get epo quite uh, easily it's quite easily available and I think there are so many Kenyans on that kind of second, third rung who are willing to risk it, <clears throat> that they will think if I get a race in China, or I get a race in Korea, or I get a race in Brazil, I win $5,000 and then I get done. It was worth it kind of thing. So, uh, so, so my feeling had always been it was either the Rosa Camp or the, or the kind of the kind of B-level B runners. Not all of them, of course, some of them are doing their best to... <coughs> be successful and everything else but but kipsan kind of broke that mold a little bit because he he's not in either of those groups and he doesn't fit that because i always felt like the, the more successful runners had just so much more to lose mm. so, so i don't know he's he does train on his own he's not really part of a group although his manager has been accused of this that and the other i feel like i, I don't know if that's fair because kipsan basically trains himself he has his own group he looks after himself i'm just I'm just surprised because he's kind of near the end of his career. You would think mm. either he's just been doping the whole time and, and he just thought he could get away with it and he got caught or he's trying to hang on to, to, to the success and the appearance fees. I mean, I, I mean, I know he's a very, he's a very busy guy. He's got a, he's got a hotel. He's got all sorts of businesses. He was, he ran for the parliament at the last election so the idea of him getting caught in the whereabouts thing is kind of, although there's no excuse, I can see why that happened. But apparently he was, he's being suspected of tampering with a sample as well, which is much more problematic in, in, in my eyes. It, well, not more problematic, but it's harder to understand how there's an excuse for that, basically. And, and from what you've seen of the, the culture amongst the communities and amongst the groups of runners, do you think... I mean, would you, where would you lie in between the idea that you could have an individual in a group breaking the rules and no one else being in that group tainted or that on one end of the spectrum and the other end of, well, if someone in that group is cheating, then they all know. Yeah, no, I think a lot of them are doing it individually, actually. I don't think, I think, and, and I think in some ways the managers may be aware of that and I'm not not cracking down it because maybe the guy's getting results and it's all on him. Uh, yeah. But I I don't get the feeling like there's a systematic thing going on whereas like the group is being doped from, you know, by the managers. I think I think they they know that they can go, it's particularly, yeah, I mean, I mean, it depends that the groups are different. Some groups are way, way much, much tighter. And mm. they're given like lectures on how important it is not to dope. I have found that I have found that there's been, a, <clears throat> there's not, there's not a huge, 
like like when someone gets done for doping he doesn't get like ostracized by the running community they're like oh that's a shame for you but they kind of people are still friendly with them and they, and they still mm-hmm. come on with them and so i feel like they're not they're not self-policing perhaps uh terribly I well and I, and then and they're not they're not being i think they're being very understanding with the ones who are being doped which which to me is not a good sign it suggests there's that that it's more prevalent perhaps than than i realized i mean i know i kind of in my book i kind of missed this out largely and and at the time there had been no mm. name kenyans done and and i actually went with the iwaf tester at the time and he was kind of adamant that kenyans weren't doping because they just weren't sophisticated enough they didn't know how you know how to get hold of the stuff they didn't have the, the means to take it and, and maybe that was true at the time maybe things mm. changed more recently <clears throat> but the only thing i would say there are certain groups that are like brother column's group uh that i just think are so trustworthy from my point of view that mm. the fact that someone like ronex caputo can run 26 24 as he ran the other day i mean he, I, I've, of all the athletes i know he's he's the most likely to be clean I feel uh, so. I, I don't think I don't think there's this story that I, there's this kind of thing I see a lot online that the whole Kenyan story is just a sham. That you know, basically they're just all doping. Uh, and I think the idea that doping is like that Kenyans are just so sophisticated at the doping that they're kind of breaking all the world records and been dominating this sport for years just because they've got free access to drugs that no one else has got or something. I, it just doesn't make sense to me. So I know there are clean athletes breaking world records, but mm. the extent to which, and I, and I and I don't, I really don't believe there are groups being being done. But I do think, I don't think there's a there's a pressure within the group to be clean. I think it's all looked at very individually. If that guy's mm. cheating, that's up to him. He takes the rap, but I'll still be friends with him. You know, it doesn't he? I can understand why he did it, but that's up to him, and he did it, and. And and yeah, that's my feeling anyway. And what would you say their view is of how they're perceived by the West? Is it, is it a consideration of theirs? Not hugely. I mean, it's different once you get to the level of Eli Kipchoge. I think you know, and the, and the top guys who are winning the Olympics and and, and breaking world records, David Rudisha. I mean, they're very aware of of their global perception uh, mm. like reputations and everything else but i think most guys out there they just think it's it's about the money basically it's about mm. getting the race running as hard as you can the times they're really into times i mean they're like they will introduce each other by times like this guy's a 204 this guy's 205 <coughs> he's a you know 59 you, you don't have to explain the event you know you can tell by the time mm. and so you know they, they're into running fast they're into running they're into winning they're into the winning medals they're into winning money uh but yeah they don't they don't ask or you know like quite often i've written about kenyan runners and sent them the articles and i don't think it means much to them, the fact that they've appeared in the british newspaper or the british mm. you know magazine i think i think that barely i think they can barely comprehend what that what that means to be honest <laughs> and um and just to come back to something you were saying before about what we can learn from them would you recommend then for people with young children that we're not putting them in you know, these big branded trainers and actually going minimalist from the start yeah i totally 
totally believe that. I've got a, a very good friend who appears in all my books, Joe, Joe Kelly, and he's got five kids who, <clears throat> I mean, obviously in this country, you can't be barefoot all the time mm. uh, for the weather, but particularly in the summer, his kids are always running around barefoot and they're unbelievably athletic, all five of them. I mean, it, it may be not because of that, but I just think my my youngest, Ossian, I kind of learned about that and let him go barefoot. And he's, I mean, I don't he doesn't race, so I don't know how fast he is, but just to watch him run, he's got a lovely running form. I mean, his, his landing, his foot is perfect, and his back lift is, you know, his heels are hitting his bum. It's like, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're, if you're up for your kids to be good at not just running, but all sports, I think, you know, that contact with the ground and that feet and that just being nimble and being agile is, is feet touching the floor. I mean, we see those Kenyan kids running around, and they're all growing up barefoot in they're just they're just light as you know i mean obviously they're living active lives as well but i think that that contact with the ground just gets your foot functioning in the right way and everything kind of then functions <clears throat> in a cascade from there so so moving on to rise of the the ultra runner then because um i originally thought this was the 50 shades of gray for the ultra running community <laughs> i started reading it um, <laughs> but, but but just from the name sorry we've got lots of jokes oh, God, to do right. with um stretchal healing and, and right. summiting and various other things where we try and introduce <laughs> sex as much as possible into ultra running but um yeah tell us about the rise of the ultra runners then uh like what it what it is and what it's about and all that stuff or what do you want to know yeah if you were to give us a, a brief what, a, brim, what? a brief I, synopsis no, I tell us <laughs> Tell us how did you how did you pitch this one? Was this obvious mm. to publishers, or because it's obvious to the running community? But yeah, is this I mean, is I this one was like really, really something to capture this? Yeah, no, no, it wasn't obvious at all. Actually, I, I mean, and it's weird looking back to me now. It feels like that was the obvious thing to write about, but it took me a while to to come round to it. And uh, and uh, I remember when I when I pitched it because my editor at Faber, so I had the first two had been done with the same editor, but then. She left the company and went to a publishers that only publish female writers. So basically, I no longer had an editor. And so when you don't have an editor, you kind of got to pitch almost as new as a new writer again. You've got to find an editor. So I was pitching this Rise of the Ultra Runners around to all sorts of publishers, and, and it got rejected by quite a few people. And a couple of people said they actually felt like the ultra running moment had passed, that it was too late to write a book about ultra running, that it was kind of was over, <clears throat> which I thought was interesting. Because Interesting. Is yeah. that because they thought there were enough books about it already? I think so, yeah. I think they they thought Born to Run was a, an ultra book, and then there'd been like three or four maybe books since then that hadn't really done that well, and maybe they thought from a publishing point of view that that was over. But, <clears throat> and that, but I mean, I, I, I felt like it was the sport was growing, and nobody had done what I felt was like a journalistic uh, kind of journey in, in, into ultra. I wanted to kind of get get uh, not just tell the story. Initially, it wasn't going to be as much about my own personal experience as it ended up being. It was more about getting I'd been to Japan. I'd been to Kenya and told those stories. Well, this was another world of running, but it was not a geographical world. It was a kind of subculture and, and to go inside and tell the story of this subculture. And I didn't feel like anyone had done that really in, in, a, in an entire sense. People have done their own personal journeys. And then you had like famous runners like 
Lizzie Hawker and Killian Jornet had, had told their stories, but this kind of idea of it being this whole movement, I felt like was 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 what grabbed me, and I, and I felt like kind of going undercover in that world, especially as I was like as a runner, I'm, I didn't consider myself an ultra runner, so I did feel like I was having to go undercover trying to win the respect of the ultra runners by by actually doing some, and uh, and then I got quite into it and ended up doing quite a lot in the end. <laughs> <laughs> and and so what what would you say you discovered as as the main differences between the running community you knew and the one you discovered uh <clears throat> so i guess i guess again i've got to put myself back into where i was at that point i mean i i hadn't done a lot of trail running so it wasn't just ultra running but trail running was quite new for me and uh, and I, I kind of found trail running slightly annoying because your pace is always disrupted and you're constantly having to walk on the steep bits and, and climb over things. And now I've completely loved to have uh, grown to love that side of running and, and see every run more as a, an adventure through nature than, than a particularly, you know, a, a seven minute mile run or an eight minute mile run and become less obsessed with times. And <clears throat> there was quite an interesting uh, a, a thing that happened to me when I was in America, which which was not that interesting, but I think crystallizes the two differences. And I was with, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if they'll mind me mentioning their names, but I was with Gary Gellan, who is a, a kind of very good ultra runner, and, and Mari, Mario Ferroli, who is uh, a kind of quite serious 10K half marathon marathon runner, but not, not, not elite level, kind of sub-elite, but a coach of some of the elite runners. But basically quite embedded although he has a few ultra runners and, and is getting more and more in, into ultra running he's quite embedded in the world of kind of road running and track running uh and we we went for a run it was three days before my first 100k race and we decided to go for kind of a, a limber up jog just a social a, so, a social jog but it was my last run before the the race and two things happened in that run which were quite surprising and i realized at the time i was totally on mario's side in this debate uh, but now, now thinking back, I can see where Gary was coming from, and I'm probably more on his side. So the first thing is we got to a hill, <clears throat> and Gary started walking up the hill. And Mario's like, "We're, we're just going to walk up the hill?" He's like, "I thought we were coming for a run." This and he was really this didn't sit well with him that we were actually walking. And Gary was like, "Oh, well, yeah, we're just out for a run. We walked. It was quite a steep bit. It was quite a short section, and we walked up." And then we ended up the whole running and ended up being about 11 miles. Uh, and we got back and Mary was like, I wasn't expecting to go for 11 miles. It's like, this guy's got a hundred K in a few days, a hundred miles in the trail, uh, 11 miles in the trail seems a bit extreme. And, and then afterwards, Gary was saying, you see Mario, he doesn't really enjoy running. He was saying to me, he's saying, because, you know, he's the kind of guy, he's just worried about the time and the distance. And at the time I was thinking, well, he does enjoy running because he didn't want to walk for a start. He wanted to run. And I actually thought that was quite a long run three days before my ultra. But now I realize Gary, for Gary, it was just running was just <clears throat> time outside. It was time to have fun, time to speed was irrelevant. You know, it was just and, and 11 miles is irrelevant. 11 miles, 10 miles, two miles. It doesn't matter. Just do whatever you feel like. And that's that's the big difference. I think they like ultra running is just being outside, running around. Time is not distance. You know, they all start becoming 
you know, they, these ultra runners can just go for hours and hours and hours, and it's not like a chore. It's just like it's not like oh, we're doing this minute mile pace, so we're just going to take this long. It's just like we're just off, you know, and, and walk and run. And I don't know if that captured anything. I don't know if I explained anything with that story. But, <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, I, I kind of crystallized something. I'm not quite yeah, sure. Yeah, because I I see that, but is it, there hasn't there been like a shift in in ultra running in the sense that it has there has been a bigger focus on on times and breaking records and going faster um which well, like, like, which, which kind of gets the headlines yeah i mean in like everything there's different there's different strands of, i mean you've got like camille heron breaking world records and and obviously she's she's looking at times and uh <clears throat> zach bitter breaking world records and 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 that's um i guess i was thinking more of the kind of trail ultra running world yeah and uh and even there you know the, the level of professionalism is and i write about a lot about that is, is is growing and changing but still still some of the top guys like killian he's he you know i know he's he's a real beast when it comes to training and he trains hard and he does intervals and everything he spends half the year not even running at all just skiing and then he spends you know probably three quarters of his time when he is running just I mean, he goes for really long runs, but he's just he's just out running. He's not necessarily like stru- <coughs> structured in the same way <coughs> or regimented in the same way. But there, but you know, yeah, there, you're right. There is there are all sorts of people in 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 both worlds, and I just felt like the ultra runners were more about less less about actual running and more about being out in the wild and being out in nature, and just you know, just that really. Uh, I feel like running is almost the wrong name. It's almost ultra moving. It's almost ultra traversing landscapes. <laughs> that's actually that's actually a really good description, I think, because especially with our own experiences of uh, of ultra running, and I imagine most 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 listeners as well in our group. It's um it's a it, it's not even that actually. I don't know. Do you, do you go into detail about uh, the um, aid stations? Because I think that's a, that's another key element of of ultra running which which doesn't really uh, you don't really find in very many other any distances in the sense that it's it's a long munch between between aid stations yeah yeah i mean there's that famous ultra running saying that ultra running is is, is an eating competition with some running in the in, in in the middle but yeah i mean they the the, the aid stations are you know and you just you just kind of get look forward to these aid stations and they come and they're they're wonderful places and they're hard to leave as well. <laughs> Amazing thing, you get stuck in aid stations. <coughs> I mean, not the elite guys. <coughs> they're in and out in like a minute and a half, but I could be in an aid station before I realise it, like half an hour has gone by and I haven't gone anywhere. I'm like, I've got to get out of here. Uh, but <coughs> yeah, there's a, that's that's a whole... No, what, eating while running was, a, was <coughs> something I'd never thought of or heard of <laughs> got my head round uh, and it took me a while and, and I never really I mean I you know I, I never really got because I, I found I tried practicing it on my training runs but they were never really long enough my training runs to get to that point which you get to after 10-15 hours where you can no longer chew when you can you know you can no longer see properly <laughs> 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 so like, you can't speak i mean that you know you've got to get you can't practice that because you know i know my, my longest training runs were about four hours so i wasn't yeah. i wasn't getting to that state until i got to the race and then i was just having to deal with whatever food was available also i didn't have like a, a huge support crew on any of my races where 
I could choose my food. I was just, I was relying on the aid stations, which, which to me, I kind of quite enjoyed because it was like a little surprise. What was going to be in store for me <laughs> at the next aid station? I don't have to, you know, it's like, it's like Christmas, except sometimes it was not a good Christmas because you turn up and just a load of empty bowls and that wasn't very, very happy. <laughs> no, no, that's awful, isn't it? <clears throat> so actually, then, linking back to the things that you were saying before as to the, fundamentally what you what you wanted to find out about uh, about each of these different groups, did you also did you also pick up on that with almost the subculture as well in the sense that what is their attitude to doing this and how does that differ from say traditional uh like road runners or or, or or club runners yeah definitely i mean there's a big <clears throat> there's a big thing that kind of recurs in my book about the ultra running which is this idea of the pain cave <clears throat> and ultra runners talk about this a lot and the elite guys as well talk about digging in the pain cave and it's and, and jim walmsley talks about this at miller they talk about getting to that point where you're really like you know you're you're kind of in in facing you know your demons and you're like right there at the edge of your will to to carry on even living and and you don't hear roadrunners talk like that <laughs> <laughs> it's just like you never get to that state in road running do you and, and there's something that ultra runners relish this they're not like i was i was slightly nervous about when i started hearing people talk about that i was like i don't want that that's not what i'm here for i i, I quite like the idea of coming out the other side of that and, and conquering that but i didn't really relish going into that you realize that the ultra runners were that's what they were doing it for they wanted that to kind of <clears throat> there's a quote i uh i i quote that i mean it's a, it's a i don't know who who said it originally but it's uh there's a there's an athlete's got an ultra runner athlete's got it tattooed on her leg and it says the devil whispered you're not strong enough to withstand the storm and i whispered back i am the storm and this sense that like you're going to go head to head with with everything with the devil with the demons and with the storm and you're going to meet it and that point where you meet it is where like life is happening and where you know you come face to face with your own existence and then you you know you deal with whatever comes and, and somehow that's this incredible experience that there's a lot of ultra runners talking about that and and, and searching for that and, and relishing that and relishing the challenge of being in that point with somebody else who's also going through it and then seeing who's the strongest and that's what like jim walmsley talks about you know you could take me to the darkest place take someone else there and i know i'm going to come out on top and it's like whoa this is like this is quite crazy <laughs> and I, so I felt like there were much more intensity in 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 the, in the kind of conversations i was having with ultra runners than than road runners road runners are all about efficiency and and staying relaxed and, and keeping good form and like you know maybe pushing on near the end and you know it was much more about technique and and to me there's a there's a huge enjoyment in running like that i'm running smoothly and running well and uh <clears throat> but ultra running is more about a kind of visceral experience of of your own you know mortality i guess <laughs> And do you think so in terms of like people have tried to make sense of ultra running, they're saying it's, you know, it's almost like a very uh, it, it, it's of it, it's of our time that like people are, are, are doing this because they, you know, life is relatively comfortable in the West. You know, we don't we don't ever have to go to those places. So things like ultra and things like, you know, sort of extreme distances and ultra endurance is is kind of our way of 
being able to experience that and push our bodies to the edge in, in a way that, that that makes us feel different. Does does that match your analysis in any way from what from what you've seen? Yeah, I think there's an element of that, and I think I think there's part of us that I don't. I, you know, I mean, different people have their, their their different reasons for ultra running, and people come at it from different perspectives. And it, you kind of think, well, but what what do people really? Need? They might have a reason on the surface, but maybe there's a deeper reason underneath. And I think there is this this idea that when you're really, really challenged physically, and you're really out there in the mountain, you are kind of coming coming up against a kind of reality that you don't that in because we live particularly in the west in these kind of cocoon lives where everything's kind of comfortable and the right temperature and we you know even running on a wet day running to the car you know if you get from your house to the car can be oh it's, it's raining get the umbrella out you know we're not used to being completely like blown blasted by by nature and by yeah and dealing with that and 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 in some ways particularly it depends on the race like something like the spine race which has just happened i mean that's really about that i mean those people <laughs> they're, they're relishing it they're loving it you know you see the interviews it's not just the winners but the people finishing two three four days after the winners and they're just saying best best feeling i've ever had in best day <laughs> best i've ever had and they've been out on like on, on, for eight days on, in the winter and the Peak District, and you're like on a on a pretty cold, wet, wind, windy winter, and they're just loving it. And so I think there's there's definitely an experience in that which takes you to a place which you just don't experience. Yeah, we, we don't experience. And and that was quite interesting because I got a Kenyan runner to come and do an ultra run. And I don't know if you read the book, and maybe I shouldn't give this bit away, but he uh, <clears throat> he ends up dropping out. Uh, even though he's he's way in the lead and he, he's fairly comfortable, and uh, he drops out because he has a sore toe, and I'm like, yeah, sore toe, and I'm really trying to convince him to carry on because like he's winning and he's only he's got 20k to go, and, he, and we've got some bigger shoes. We could put the bigger shoes on your toe; will be fine. I was like, this is ultra running. You you know something's gonna hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and this is not road running anymore, where you're just kind of cruising around, you know, for a few hours. But he wouldn't carry on. And then I started thinking about it after. You know, this guy's had a really hard life. Maybe he doesn't have that need yeah. to like, experience that. Maybe he's like, this is like, this is what I spent my whole life trying to get away from. Why am I doing direction. He didn't, yeah, he had no desire to suffer at all. And it was quite funny because he was sitting there and he'd been sitting there so long that other people were coming into the aid station where he'd stop <clears throat> and we're going through and they were like actually some of them he'd lapped because it was a lapped race <laughs> and they and they were you know peeling bliss blisters you know peeling plaster blister plasters off their feet and and like exhausted they're like cuts and they, but they were happy and loving it and like smiling let's <laughs> go so you just got a sore toe and you're like and i was looking at the toes oh he got me to look at it and i couldn't see anything there was nothing there <laughs> <laughs> it was really <coughs> really fascinating in a way it also made me think about how the kenyans usually run because it's probably the first time he'd ever experienced pain in a run which was quite interesting because most of us would get to that point where something's hurting in a marathon but you know i don't think he'd ever he, he'd run a two seven marathon so he was pretty pretty quick guy <laughs> yeah that's it yeah there is there is a benefit to going a little bit longer or taking yeah. a little bit longer taking your time over things to uh See, test the limits of how far your body can hold itself together. Mm. What, what? Then, in terms of really, then 
having picked up on on like the rise, rise of the ultra runners um at this particular point where after the publishers thought that it it you know it was something that um is is seen say what is your as a concluding thought what is your sort of lasting impression of that is this some is is ultra running something that is going to continue to grow or has it really hit the like the high tide mark yeah I, I that's an interesting one i don't know i kind of felt like while i was in it it was still growing and and you you got this sense of the the, the <clears throat> races in china are getting very big and that the chinese are getting big into ultra running and there were other there were other worlds opening up to ultra running uh i feel like it needs something else now i mean it, it needs a kind of unifying like championships or it needs maybe i mean i'd love to see it in the olympics or or something but it's got it's got very big but it's hard to see where it goes from here now uh, because all those races like the utmb they're so oversubscribed they can't yeah. really go any bigger they just don't have the capacity on the trails and and, and the western states has almost got ridiculous now because there's only like a uh, few hundred places and there's thousands and thousands of people trying to get in and so it's up to the sport in a way it needs to find a way because it's quite disparate like they've got like the utmb is like a separate organization from the like there's the golden trail series and then you've got the sky running series and it feels like <coughs> and the mountain running and they're all quite separate and i think somehow when they need to kind of unify it and uh to, to make it grow and and i think in terms of new people coming through as well like I'd say, I mean, it's only a few years since I started writing this book, but at the time, the biggest stars were Killian Jornet, uh, Jim Walmsley. Uh, well, you know, they're still probably the two the two biggest stars around. Like, there's no one coming through rivaling those guys in stature. Where when I was writing about it, Zach Miller had just come through, Jim Walmsley himself had just come through, uh, Camille Heron had just kind of come through. There were lots of big names, just kind of suddenly becoming superstars and i don't feel like anyone in the last year or so has I'm, I'm, unless i just can't think of anyone except maybe a couple of the chinese runners but that you know that's kind of from the western point of view people aren't necessarily i mean i, I can't actually name any of them right now uh, but it'll be interesting this year if if some of the chinese runners win some of the big races yeah I, I, you know they did they did they did well at utmb last year one of the chinese women won i think the ccc last year uh but yeah it feels like it needs it'd be, <clears throat> i think it would be amazing in the olympics like a 100k trail race through well it would be it's obviously not going to happen in tokyo but in, in paris if they could have it through well on the utmb course or something it would be that'd be quite a spectacle but that's just i don't i don't think there's i don't know if there's any possibility of that or not but it feels like something needs to happen to take it on I feel. yeah uh, you have to go yeah. to that next level yeah yeah but I mean, in terms of mass participation as well, I think that has grown a lot and and and, and has kind of continued to grow. But <coughs> yeah, I don't know if it, it obviously hasn't got an infinite pool of people who are going to be running ultra runs. I mean, there's you know, it's, it's a still a big undertaking. I, I know a lot of people like the idea of it, but when you actually have to go out and run a hundred k or hundred miles or something, it's there's only a certain type of person <laughs> who is actually going to go and do that. So. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know is the answer, or, or, which is not always helpful. But there you go. <laughs> but it's it's always it's always a good way to hedge your bets, though. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's brilliant, um, Darren. And um, if people want to 
uh, keep in touch with you, uh, find out what you're doing, find out about future future books or anything else like that? What's the best way of them keeping in touch? Yeah, so I've got uh, either either on Twitter, which is just at Adaranand, which is my name, or I have I do have a website, which I do I do a I've got a podcast and uh, I do running camps, I organise running camps, and also I do a regular or irregular, occasional newsletter. I've just <laughs> thoughts on the world of running uh, and that website is called the way of the runner.com so amazing not just amazing but the general way of the runner <laughs> so the way of the runner.com yeah amazing thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure having you on oh, and uh, and uh, yeah good luck with uh, with anything in the future and you did say we could go down tangents i think i probably went down a few <laughs> <times>. <laughs> they're all great tangents though really interesting <laughs> Okay, brilliant. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Adaranad. That was great. That was, that was. I I started going off on a bit of a uh, indulging in, uh, you know, ultra ultra bore, ultra running bore at the end there. So I do (laughs) apologise. It's one of those ones where, listener... You're going to find this happens quite a lot. We, we keep cutting out. One of us cuts out at the end of uh, interviews. I don't know. You're going to find this quite a lot in the next few episodes. It'll either be me cutting out at the end of the interview or David cuts out. I think I cut out more interviews than you cut out of, but it's always like towards the end. There's it feels one like vital one coming up. Just <laughs> at the point at which Jade is needed, where we talk about veganism, it cuts out, and then all hell breaks loose, and I'm sat there going... I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Where's Jodie? You're going to be here for this. What I, what I particularly like about this is that when um, when uh, when David cuts out, we're talking, I mean, if we're talking about lots of other different subjects, uh, you know, I, I might be struggling. But we, when David cuts out, we're talking about ultra running. And I'm like, oh, I am on, I am on safe ground here. Thank <laughs> God we're not doing something about nutrition or some kind of injury or, you know, hydration or something like that. Cause I would just, I, I, I literally just go, I've, I've got nothing. I've, I, I, you could, we're going to wrap it there guys. When we ever have like people talking about like really sort of like technical, like specific things, like I, I'm amazed by how many questions you can come up with around <laughs> things. I'm like, literally like, surely this is a one question interview. <laughs> But, the, but what I liked about this one is you you generally only speak to people about a book when the books come out. And actually, the thing about his Running with the Kenyans book is it's almost become more interesting since you know, every year yeah. as, as they've developed, as we've tried to emulate them, as people start getting over there for holidays, as the, the more of, I think, um, I think it's, it's 40 or 60 Kenyans have now been done for doping something like that some enormous number and yeah and, and his book gives more and more context into what we think is li- likely to happen isn't likely to happen and yeah it's really interesting to hear now his view on things yeah yeah actually that's really good I, it'd be good actually to think about some of the big um the big books that came out that have affected a lot of people like things like ultra marathon man uh, maybe not ultra marathon man actually because that that's one that inspired people that's not really going to change that much but things like uh, exactly yeah, in the clouds exactly those ones you know what mm-hmm. what is the impact of those books you know like five ten years after because i think something like feed the cloud would be amazing to hear you know about what that's what that's done the, the damage it's caused yeah. the way that people think you know the, the, like 
you're right. Like a book talking about it at the time, that's really interesting. But the but the impact afterwards. But I think um, the, the impact tends to the impact that you get in the media is you you only get the negative side of things that's reported on it in the long term. I don't think like the positive impact is more people running or more people, but you don't necessarily, you never get an article about that. You might have someone come speak to you in the street, I guess, as a writer saying, actually, you, you got me into running, but people now are talking about a feet in the clouds about the Bob Graham round. And if it's been overly popularized and it's destroying the route and it's not the same as it was or um, free to run, got loads of people into running but also got people into barefoot huge numbers of injuries you mean born to run born to run sorry what did i say free to free run, to run. <laughs> what's free to run across the charity born to run um yeah and you know huge huge number of people into running but on the positive side but then loads of people injured <laughs> loads of people into running loads of people injured just straight afterwards <laughs> yeah and that's the thing i think the the legacy lasts on in a way that you don't see but the the long if something if it's created a at some negativity that's probably easier to actually spot because the other thing was you know it was if you think about uh, we've kind of gone off a tangent here but this is this is kind of relevant uh, if you think about the impact after Born to Run, it felt as though this is the start of the backlash against, uh, you know, the big trainer companies. This is yeah. the, uh, the back this against is the, the end. end. This is it's the end. It's all over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and then we're gonna we're gonna you see there's gonna be a shift to, uh, you know, a much more natural style of of, of shoe and and everything else like that. And uh, and it's a, it's a bit like um, you know, Super Size Me when that, when that documentary came out. You're like, fast yeah. food is dead. There's no way fast food can survive this. <laughs> Ten years later, you know, stronger yeah. than ever. I'm never eating fast food 30 never, days I'm never, in a row. I'm never, ever supersize it, ever again. There's no, <laughs> never going to be in a McDonald's ever again. And you're like, 10 years later, you're like, damn, how did this happen? What? <laughs> how, how did we even get in here? Why is my liver blated? Yeah, exactly. And like, 10 years later, we're all wearing ultras. I'm like, what? How? What? It's like even even thicker, the padding. That's what? true, actually. We've actually gone the other way. We've having. It's almost as though we've gone, uh, it's like some people go, okay, yeah, barefoot's the thing. Barefoot, there was an idea, wasn't there, that barefoot was going to obviously become mainstream. That, you know, this is, it's so obvious that this is the right way to run. It's just, it's not a matter of, uh, you know, if, it's a matter of when more people are going to transition. And loads of the shoes companies, they started bringing out all sorts of stuff. Mm, Drops falling, uh, you know, really, really quickly. And they were trying to innovate, you know, to try and, uh, you know, get into, uh, get those. And it would look like, you know, there's a, that's the definite trend. And yeah, I think even writing about that in, uh, well, not me personally writing about it in men's running, but it being written about in men's running loads, you know, this is the, the, the way that it's going to go. Uh, and then it kind of just went, yeah, uh, let's just go back to what we were doing. <laughs> let's keep on just, advertising. People just go, you know, what thing about what I like about padded shoes? They're really fucking padded, which means that ultras, they're really, really good. Um, do they still do carrots in McDonald's? Uh, I I still believe that McDonald's is the largest purchaser of apples in the world. <laughs> do you know why? They buy them all, throw them in the bed, in the in the dustbin, forcing you to eat chips instead. I remember um, there was a little fact sheet on the back of Super Size Me. The, uh, uh, the I was in the home entertainment industry at the time, and the uh it had a, a statistic on it one million animals are slaughtered a day to feed mcdonald's wow that's quite a good statistic that is a very yeah 
But if you're million and one, you're like, hooray, I survived to live another day. <laughs> so every, do you think they, there's a special prize every day for one of them? You're a million murderer. Um, but the, so was he, was he saying that you should go vegan as well on um, Super Size no, Me? No, no, he wasn't. No, 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 he wasn't. He was just saying that, you know, it's about understanding um, what, goes, what goes into the food. Have you seen Super Size Me 2? <laughs> where he opens up his own chicken shop but he tries to do it uh i've not watched it yet it, <laughs> is it, it looks, new her, yeah it's new it, it looks horrific because it works out what you know what you can get away with he, basically, <laughs> he does everything he tries to open up like an organic free-range chicken shop uh it, while keep you know and trying to uh, trying to uh, it does like i think he makes he's trying to murder the chickens as painfully as possible no, no, he, i think he has i think he has he makes it free range by basically putting a cat flap on a uh, a cat flap with like a <laughs> basket outside and and that according to u.s law that's perfectly acceptable that you know it's essentially how you can like get around the free range thing it's it, it, i haven't watched it I'm, i think we should watch it actually and come back because that'll be that'll yeah, be quite yeah. interesting and um, american regulations are scary oh god just don't seem to exist we might talk about this on that when we talk about the vegan thing but you should watch what the health if you've not watched it already uh because that's just the thing about that kind of talks about like it's not it's it's about animal welfare and it's all these other things but also shows you just the lack of regulation in america when it comes to uh uh like wastage and, and other kind of things it, it's it's kind of horrific um but, but yeah but could, to, did you read fast food nation there's a bit we're, we're into books again did you read fast food nation i didn't read fast food nation no oh that was almost a forerunner to all yeah, of the other books a, like a classic i remember that but i didn't yeah. uh, that was well no when i was younger no logo was the one we all read no we logo that was 1920. it yeah, no, fine. and you're like after that i i boycotted so many I tell you what, it really hurt the company. I like. I, Did you boycott I, books? I boycott. I boycott <laughs> yeah, again, I boycott anything that tells me that, that everything's negative. I boycotted Gap. I boycotted Starbucks. I boycotted. Eh, I can't remember. I boycotted someone else, but I can't remember who it was. And I didn't go in any of them for like ten years. Uh, and then they had a sale on. And then, well, no, they, they didn't have a sale. I don't know why I went in any of them, actually. Why I went back in them or something like that. But I did. I boycotted all of them. Were you running um, on khaki trousers? It really, um, it, <laughs> do you know what? You go in there, you're like, damn, this is cheap in here, isn't it? Like, wow. Um, but it, obviously my single person boycott wasn't having much an effect um, yeah, because well, they, they, they were bigger than ever. But then it, it felt as if each of those books, as you say, um, it did feel as if change was coming. And the just, same yeah. with the is game changers. The, the, in fact, we, I, I mean, that one, I don't quite understand why people are making such a big deal of it. Cause it essentially just says, you do know you can get like the, the, and yet they're full of meat and you're like, yeah. wow, that's <laughs> blowing my mind. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. No, no, oh, you've, you've seen game changers for what it is. That's it. It's just saying it's all right. Uh, it's, it's not saying anything beyond that. Um, but uh, but yeah, I don't know how we're going to link this back to uh, to Kenyans. <laughs> but um, well. because yeah, that's the thing. Well, actually, the whole the, the it links it back in some way because we think about the impact of books afterwards and the impact of um, 
like barefoot running as a mm. result of Born to Run. This is you know this is the way that we're going to change stuff like that. And what I found really interesting about what Ado and Amber saying was that no matter how you try and go and train with the Kenyans, you you're just not going to compete with them because it is it is all so ingrained within their entire life mm. in terms of you know how they get to school in the morning, how they live that their bodies are built for 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 what makes them the incredible athletes they are yeah and imagine if everyone in your town and everyone in your village the only people you knew who got to travel who got to go um have money and really a career were runners and all you saw were people running and you had to do that for school and they were your heroes and we have the same with football and most countries are probably similar with football or music or and to sense it now instagram youtube but if everything you see is runners then that in itself even if you're not talented as a nation that is going to just ensure that every little bit of talent there is is going to be in your system and so yeah. by the age of 12, you're going to have a pool of thousands upon thousands more than anyone else. Yeah. It's just, there's no, there's, there's no, um, uh, there's no competition, is there? That you know, you can try and talk about like the environmental differences and, and everything else, but just that environment, like it, we've talked about this, like environment dictates everything. Mm. And that environment being a, a, a harsh environment to grow up in uh, makes you a, a, a stronger when it comes to those those things, which I think you kind of you clicked off on the uh, at that point when we were talking about it. It's like the opposite of ultra running It's that we, you know, people in some ways like the pain of ultra running and like the pain of going through it because they they don't have that pain in their everyday life. They need mm. something to, you know, you kind of need a strike. They might be having mental struggle, stuff like that, but also like that, that physical struggle. There's something almost like primal in that, that, you know, we want to feel as though we're like battling with ourselves and battling with our body and, and overcoming something. And we don't get that from sitting at a desk or, you know, uh, whatever else people do, having meetings and, and things like that. So, you know, that's, that's why we do it. And so the, the reason that, you know, obviously their environment means that they have that incredible situation i love the fact that you know they like they run really really slowly when they run slowly and they actually kill it when they run fast yeah and yeah everything everything that well, what i was trying to think of other people we used to talk to about books but matt um fitzgerald exactly yeah. what he's saying 80 20 just they do it naturally and that's the thing if you're if you're also if you're in a system where everyone's going through a certain number of coaches everyone's running with some of the best in the world if you think of every, everyone we know their journey into running the vast majority of us have come into it through internet training programs or word of mouth or just doing what someone else is doing yeah um whereas they actually are all going through the same training they're all going through the same schools of thought and um they're not picking up the bad habits that we probably do, but also I don't think they're in that, you know, he talks about some of the young bucks are obviously sprinting out front yeah. to, 
you know, pride of place and all, but they're probably not getting people going out and running mile after mile after mile after mile after mile of their own accords. Um, and they're resting as much as they need to. Um, so yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see if, well, now that we know why Mo's been uh, competing on even terms with them, whether anyone else can do that <laughs> without resorting to, uh, El- was it Elkanine? Um, Elkan, Elkanine, was it? Elkanine, yeah. El- Elkanine, Elkanatine, that's right. Right. Oh well, that's that's a that's a whole new thing to talk about, isn't it? It is. We'll talk about that uh, next time. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, if you if you which which episodes would you recommend, JD? They like this one. I mean, Matt Fitzgerald's really good. If you're talking about um, just really good authors, he's written books on nutrition. He's written books on training. I don't know why I, I pair this one with the um, the one we did with Ralu because Ralu, you know, is a writer and a and a runner. She has some quite good adventures, so I, I'd, I'd pair that with with this. You know, looking at um, other people running and uh, and documenting it. And Decarnassus, the well, the original ultra marathon man, but probably it's probably the best selling running yeah. book of all time, I'd imagine, even now. Um, and I, I can't really see anything knocking it off its perch. No, just because. Um, well, I think it's still read, still bought, and and will be for years to come. But um, thanks for listening, guys. If you want to ask questions to our present our, our guests in the future, we always post out in advance on Instagram. Actually, most of the time we post out in advance on Instagram. And so you can then throw the questions in there. So follow us on our Instagram and it gives you an opportunity to actually get uh, more involvement, more of an insight into each guest in each episode. Anything else you'd recommend, Jody? Come to the group. Join the group. Join the Facebook group. For some reason, there's loads of people in there now. It's just getting a bit too, <laughs> getting a bit too busy in there. Bit too we're, busy. We might have to start breaking one in, one out. <laughs> you want to come in? You've either got to kick out Matt Simpson, or or the group have got to vote someone out. It's gonna get, it's gonna get <laughs> tribal in there. Indeed. Um, yeah, come join us in the group. And if you did enjoy this episode, please subscribe. Tell your friends. And what can really help is leaving a five-star review on iTunes, mainly because it's um, it's people's view. That helps us. That doesn't help you. I mean, like we can't, I don't know how we're going to say that helping you in any way. It, may, it helps. You, you, will, you will enter heaven if you, <laughs> if you give us five stars. Exactly. A, a, a angel gets its wings every time you leave a five-star. But um, it does help us attract better guests because that's the main way in which they can see the popularity of the podcast so um well thanks for listening guys and we'll see you next week see you later bye 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 Fuck you, buddy.